White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Deep array! It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I am Connor McKnight, the big voice guy. Had it right. Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate. And for those of you who are here just celebrating White Sox Weekly, we love you. Thanks so much. Happy December 25. Lots to get to on the show today. Uh, Let me give you a bit of a, a rundown of where things are at here on White Sox Weekly and what the plans are for the next couple of weeks and for this show in particular. I I know it's a little bit of a reset here on White Sox Weekly, but given the status of Major League Baseball's lockout, we are kind of resetting to square one of our initial White Sox Weekly offseason plan. You'll remember that we went through the uh, start of the positional reviews and previews well before, gosh, what was it? I, Tyler, I mean, this was, this was five, six weeks ago, something like yeah, that? Yeah, definitely uh, north of a month. It has been a minute. And, and there was some news, right? I mean, the White Sox signed Kendall Graveman. Rick Hahn had an end-of-season press conference a little bit later uh, than the postseason scheduled allowed. Um, a bunch of things had popped up, really. Oh, there was the whole, you know, uh, Hall of Fame thing with Minnie Minoso getting in. So we devoted a handful of shows to that. I, I think it was, it was well done. I, I know a lot of people enjoyed it, and we thank you for listening to those shows. If you missed... Any of the White Sox positional reviews and previews, go back and check it out on the app. ESPN Chicago is the app. Just download them. Uh, we did the bullpen. We took a look at the White Sox bullpen last year and what it'll look like for 2022, although that won't have the Kendall Graveman stuff in it because that's been a big part of the White Sox additions here in the offseason. We took a look at first base back on the 30th of October, and on the 13th, we got into the uh, rotation. 13th of November, that was. Uh, so you can go back and take a look at those if you'd like to. But for today's show, since I figured this was kind of the most packed position, I figured today we would look at second base. All of the White Sox second sackers of 2021 and what the solutions could be to the 2022 picture. We'll take a look back at performances, the decisions that got made, um, you know, kind of the ups and downs of that position as it was as well. Uh, we'll do the news and notes segment a little bit later on in the show. That's probably segment two. Otherwise, I just get to hang out with you and talk a little White Sox second base. Before I do, you can enjoy the best views of the ballpark in 2022 with an all-inclusive experience in premium seating. The Guaranteed Rate Club and Wintrust Scout Seats include flexible payment plans, postseason options, and more. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. So, as is tradition on the positional review and preview, I want to go back and look at 2021 just from a second base perspective. And we'll get into 22. Some of the internal projections, uh, the internal possibilities, and some of the additions the White Sox may make at what could be a a big-time spot of, of change, I guess, from 21 into 22. I, I should mention Tyler Rocky. You just heard him talk, but he's our producer here on the show. Uh, he's got a whole lot of work to do on this one because I had him pull a bunch of highlights. Remember, when you look back at 21, and I know a lot of White Sox fans remember this, I thought it was kind of interesting, the symmetry of it too. Obviously, the two biggest providers to second base playing time in last season were Cesar Hernandez and Nick Madrigal. Each of them played 53 games 
at second base for the White Sox in 2021. I want to start with the guy the White Sox thought would be a long-term piece of the puzzle, a guy that is now was now featured in one of the bigger trades at the deadline and is now on the north side with the Chicago Cubs. Here's a little taste of what Nick Madrigal was able to accomplish as a White Sox in 21. Outfield shallow in center and right. A little bit deeper in left, but not much. Infield's back. King looks back to second base. He will come home with the 0-2. Swung on, driven into right. Gallo will go back. It's over his head. Nick Madrigal won it for the White Sox. Luis Robert comes home. 2-1 the final. Nicky Madrigal. All right, now that sounds a little more self-indulgent than I wanted it to. Did you pick? Come on, Tyler. That sounds like if I'm throwing it to my own highlight. I thought we were starting with Cesar Hernandez, but that's okay. I wanted to start with Nick Madrigal. I I did call the walk-off. He he burned Joey Gallo. That was a ton of fun. Well, that was a fun ball game. Nick was in, listen, Nick was in a lot of fun plays last year. The, the, The defense, I thought, in the 53 games he was able to play, before the severe hamstring injury sidelined him for the rest of the 2021 season. Uh, he showed a little bit more pop than I thought he would. I think he showed a little, and I'm not just talking about, you know, hitting his first career home run, you know, and, and getting one in, in um, uh, what was it, uh, where the Twins, Target Field. Target Field, that's where he hit his first home run. Um, but Madrigal hit two home runs and, and four triples and 10 doubles in 53 games. It's a 305 batting average, a 349 on base, and a 425 slugging percentage for Madrigal in his final season, more than likely, as a White Sox. Obviously part of a big trade that brought Craig Kimbrell to the south side. And I've mentioned this a handful of times, both on White Sox Weekly and in postgame shows, and I think even in doing games with Len and DJ. This is a trade, Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer for Craig Kimbrell, that I make 10 times out of 10 and twice on Sundays. I do it over again. Regardless of the fact that general manager Rick Hahn has admitted it didn't work out with Craig Kimbrell. Obviously, the results are what they were. The guy carried an ERA right around four, I think it was maybe maybe close to five with the White Sox. The mix wasn't quite right in that bullpen. But, and I believe this with all my heart, I do, my philosophy when it comes to baseball is flags fly forever. And when you've got a chance to push in on a win-now championship, you have to use the pieces that may provide you some long-term security, have a little bit of risk involved, as any young player does, and you got to secure things that are as close to known quantities as you possibly can. That trade, bringing Craig Kimbrell in at the cost of Cody Hoyer and Nick Madrigal, makes all the sense in the world to me from a lot of different perspectives. The White Sox needed bullpen help at the time, right-handed specifically. Kimbrell fit all those needs and he was the best reliever on the market. He might have been the best reliever in baseball up to that point. You make a couple arguments for a few other guys, but he's that guy. So what's interesting now, I think, and I'll only do this briefly, I know a lot of White Sox fans would have loved to have Nick Madrigal for the long term. You'll get to watch him. He'll still be in the bigs. I would imagine, I mean, uh, assuming health and, and we get spring training started on time well, with the lockout, that Nick Madrigal will be the starting second baseman for the Cubs. Dan Zimborski is a great follow on Twitter. Uh, he's a Fangraphs writer. He has helped invent, actually, I think they're all his, the Zips projections, right? We talk a lot about projection systems uh, early on in the season. He's got the Zips projections out. And I was taking a look at Madrigal's, and Jim Margulis over at Sox Machine did this too. Madrigal's projected for a 2.3 wins above replacement season. That's good. That's really good. 
But if you dig deeper into the numbers, and again, these are projections, and this is all we have at this point. I get it. Baseball's not played on a spreadsheet as much as I would enjoy that, being the nerd that I am. When you look deeper in the numbers, the questions about Madrigal are the same as they've been since he was drafted out of Oregon State, as high as he was by the White Sox. How much power can you provide, given the contact rates that you have? I think in this day and age, you know, White Sox fans are well acquainted with this idea. Benetti and Len do an awesome job of kind of walking you through this on a day-to-day basis. Contact is great. And we're changing the way we look at the game. The strikeout is as high as it's ever been, and, and walks are high, and home runs are high. So what is it to have a player whose profile is so different from everybody else in the lineup? There's benefit to that, right? When you're putting the ball in play, there is benefit. But when it comes to Madrigal, just how much power you can hit for, given the fact that he's playing second base, not a spot that impacts the rest of the team defensively. I mean, like, if you're playing really well at second base, that's great. But how much does that defense really help out? Obviously, you can't be committing a whole bunch of errors. Those are problematic regardless of where you're at. So that's kind of a look at Madrigal. And I I just kind of wanted to look back before we look forward some. That's a big part of the positional review and preview. Truly, all the best to Nicky Two Strikes. I hope he turns into an everyday player that that provides a ton. Um, But that is a trade that it's a trade I'd make over and over again even as tough as the results were to swallow for the White Sox in 2021. Now, the flip side of that coin is in replacing Madrigal, the White Sox brought in Cesar Hernandez from the then Cleveland Indians and now Cleveland Guardians. Hernandez was able to provide, but only a little bit for the White Sox in 21. And there's a ball golfed in the air to deep left off the bat of Cesar Hernandez, and it is gone just over the wall in left. Leaping attempt by Kevin Smith. He couldn't get it. And Hernandez has his third homer with the Sox. Number 21 on the year, and it's 1-1. to Oh, you know that felt oh so good for Hernandez. It did. But there were only three home runs for Cesar Hernandez in a White Sox uniform. He had hit 18 with Cleveland leading up to the trade just a couple of days before the deadline. You look down at the, uh, the splits. And, and what's notable here is with 376 at-bats in Cleveland, he slugged 431. This is a guy who really rediscovered the power, well, invented himself a power stroke and provided a lot of pop for that Cleveland offense. When he came over to the White Sox with 18 home runs, he was then tied for the team lead. I, I know it doesn't all work like that, right? He hadn't hit them for the White Sox. But in terms of total homers, it was him and Jose Abreu both with 18 at the time. Only three for him since, and he slugged 299 in what was a really underwhelming offensive performance. And the defense struggled just a bit too. Although I think it's a, I, I think the defensive performance that Cesar Hernandez gave the White Sox was a little bit better than some of the, some of the shots that he took. I think down the line. Suffice it to say, if you were going to make the trade, and I imagine the White Sox front office was already thinking uh, about you know where this thing was going, kind of the whole picture of it. You're going to make that move. You bring Hernandez in. It's by low with the potential to, to really ring high. The Sox did not pick up the option on Cesar Hernandez, and he's since signed with the Washington Nationals. It was a move that didn't work out again, but uh, I find it really difficult to fault a team for their aggression in going after win-now solutions when you've got a can-win-it-now ball club. You can bring your group out to a White Sox game in 2022 and receive specially priced tickets along with a great experience. Get priority access to select the biggest matchups, choose the best space for your group, 
and postseason priority for 2022. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. I'm Connor McKnight. We'll look back at the other guys who played the keystone for the White Sox in 2021 and get into some of the potential solutions for 22. Tyler Rocky's our producer. I'm Connor McKnight. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly on Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the home of the White Sox. We're on Twitch.tv or the Twitch app. Follow us at ESPN 1000 Chicago. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. You can give the gift of White Sox baseball with a holiday pack starting at $79. Get six ticket vouchers to 56 different home games during the 2022 regular season, along with an exclusive White Sox hat and scarf set. Visit WhiteSox.com slash holiday packs to purchase yours today. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly. We are resuming the White Sox position review. Review and preview, really, from 21 into 22. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody, and thanks for listening to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. Um, before we get into the rest of the guys that played second base for the White Sox, and I, this is kind of a meaty part of the of the program here today. You know, we went through Nick Madrigal and Cesar Hernandez, but neither of those guys will be with the White Sox in 22, obviously. I do want to get into one of our featured segments here on the show because even though there's a lockout, there's a couple of little things that have happened. I would call them news and notes. White Sox Weekly now brings you live correspondence from the far realms of the baseball universe. universe. Everything from seams to batteries and anything from cash considerations to dirty inning situations. Here's young Connor McKnight. Thank you, big voice guy. Uh, a couple of news and notes. Uh, as you may have seen, the Mets and A's have both filled their managerial spots. Buck Showalter is the new manager of the New York Mets. The A's have chosen Mark Kotze, a former White Sox, to uh, to manage their ball club. The A's are in, and we'll talk about the A's a little bit later on, because as we talk about potential solutions for the White Sox at second base, the A's are involved in, in more than just one way that you might think of. That's a tease for later on in the show. Uh, Mark Kotze, Tyler, any ideas on uh, the player traded by the White Sox? To acquire Mark Kotze in 2009, hmm. I will give you a hint. It's a tough one. Okay. Tyler's a young youngster. I will say, you do see a Kotze jersey at the park every once in a while. Uh, you see a handful of Kotze yeah. jerseys mm-hmm. every now and again. That, that's probably, we should do later on in the season. Like once we start this, spring training. Mm-hmm. We yeah. should, in spring training for White Sox Weekly, we got to start like a call-in segment of the best unheralded White Sox jerseys you see at the game. Yes. So, like, not Jermaine Dye. He's a right. World Series MVP. No Canericos. Miss me with those. I want your Katzes. I want your Kappingers. Not your Beckhams. Beckham was a was right. a bright young star mm-hmm. with a huge yeah. future ahead of him. I'm yep. not talking about those guys. And not your one, your Rebays, either. The Rebays, the dude. He's the yeah. dude. I'm talking mm-hmm. about, like, that that 11th guy. That, if, if anybody sees a Cliff Polite jersey, send it. I want to see it. <laughs> That's the segment we got to start here once the spring training. Basically, begins. relievers and utility guys. That's it. That's what I want. Maybe some fifth outfielders. Uh, br- speaking of, Brian Anderson. Okay. Yes. The guy traded for Mark Kotze. Kotze came over in 09 and spent 10, uh, 2010 with the White Sox. Uh, speaking of former White Sox, Daniel Polka 
They signed a minor league deal with the Mets. Remember, just because we're still in the lockout doesn't mean the players who are eligible to be signed to minor league deals can't be signed. They are. A lot of those are working out. And the uh, the Guardians have added uh, Cleveland. It's Cleveland Guardians. They've added to their ownership group, David Blitzer. I, I'll, I'll let you do the uh, the research on it. Not you, Tyler. You don't have to go look this up right now. That would be horrible for me to spring homework on you like this. The Falcons already springing a bunch of homework on your Christmas break. I wouldn't do that to you. Uh, but they picked up a new ownership group. And, you know, I, I bring it up here on White Sox Weekly mostly because we have seen Cleveland operate. What's a kind of way of putting it? Frugally? I think frugal is kind. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind. Um, they, they weren't able to weren't interested in re-signing Francisco Lindor. Who knows what the future holds for Jose Ramirez. Um, yeah, it, just, it hasn't been an operation that's The pitching spent... staff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they develop a lot of pitchers and have signed some to longer-ish turn deals. Bieber comes to mind. But, you know, they're going to have to lock him down for longer and a bunch of other guys. But it, it looks, it sounds to me like this could be an addition to Cleveland that helps them maybe spend a little bit more money alongside Paul Dolan. I, I don't know. Uh, worth bringing up, it definitely fit the bill for news and notes. All right, back to the positional review and preview for 2021. I told you earlier, Cesar Hernandez, and you likely knew this if you're listening to White Sox Weekly here on Christmas morning, uh, Cesar Hernandez and Nick Madrigal both played an even split of 53 games apiece for the White Sox at second base in 2021. The other second baseman for the White Sox, really the ones of note, Leury Garcia, who of course... One heck of a headlight this year. 3-1 pitch. Hammered in the air. Deep center field. That baby will go! A home run! Three-run homer, Leori! And they've got the lead! We talked about the home run was needed, and it has been delivered here in the third inning. Oh, man. I Listen... Nobody wanted to see the White Sox get booted in the first round against the Astros. I get it. But if that homer doesn't give you chills, like if you can't just put yourself in that moment for just a little bit, especially today of all days. Oh, do you hear that crowd? Oh, man. I, I've been, I've covered a playoff run before. That is the most, right there, the most electric environment I've ever been at with a baseball game. Hands down. Unbelievable. I was down, we, we had Chuck Garfine on the show a little while ago. I was telling the story. We were, you know, the, the media, if you're going to get like an on-field interview, you've got to go downstairs underneath the, the ballpark, kind of behind home plate where the, the scout seats let you out for all the free ice cream and coffee and stuff. You should go down and sit in those scout seats. They're great. But anyway, we're down there waiting. And those last couple innings during game three, we're not, we haven't seen any of the ball game. We're sitting there for the last, I, I want to say it was like seven or eight outs of the game, just kind of waiting. And the Wi-Fi down there is tough. I mean, there's like a billion people in the stands, right? So that's a little, so we're trying to reload and get GameCast up and things like that. Nothing, can't find it. All we're hearing is that crowd. All you can really hear is that crowd. Oh, that sounds like a strike three. Oh, that sounds like a foul tip. You know, all these, it's, it was, it was just electric. It was super cool. And, and I'm glad the White Sox and White Sox fans got that moment, obviously, in the playoffs. Deserved it. Team deserved it just a little bit. And as everybody has talked about, from Brickon all the way down to well, Larry Garcia, uh, they want more in 2022. Okay, so here's the thing on Larry. He's re-signed to a long-term deal. He'll be a 12-year White Sox by the time this contract is over. It's a very reasonable deal, um, given the production and versatility that Larry Garcia gives you. You know, for that money and and the many positions he can play and play pretty well. Solid year for Larry Garcia. 
First and foremost, and I, I know White Sox, like, Larry Garcia is kind of a polarizing White Sox player. I get it. The idea is not to have Leori Garcia the starting second baseman for 2022. Rick Hahn has said it a couple of different times. Leori and the White Sox are at their best when he can fill in a bunch of different positions over the course of a season. Give somebody a day or two. Give Tim Anderson a day or two. I mean, think about the value of getting that guy off his feet. Just, I don't know, once every... I mean, like you'd have to take a tractor out there and pull him off the field because Tim's not leaving on his own. But if you can do that for the guy, then you avoid situations like the White Sox were in when they went to Tampa, you know, late in the season, and he was out for a while, played a great game, and then out for this is this is important. Having that depth is huge. I said it the other day on the station. Um, I think Hoodie asked me, "How many players does it take to win a World Series?" I said, "Thirty, thirty-two." I mean, it it doesn't take transcendent. A, a 32 transcendent players, but it takes all 32 some years. I mean, we've seen attrition work that way in Major League Baseball, um, and that's COVID aside, right? I mean, I, I hope we are done with having to put guys on a COVID list and taking them back off and all this sort of stuff. We'll see, but all of that matters, and when you're stacking depth, you have to have guys like Leary Garcia. Now, if, if you don't like the contract, look no further. Chris Taylor signed a huge deal with the Dodgers to stick around, and those two are pretty comparable guys. He got, I think, 60 over 5, if that's if I'm not mistaken. That is a sizable amount of quiche. And Larry Garcia signed to a little bit more reasonable deal there, which allows the White Sox some flexibility, and that's important when you're getting you know relatively equal production. So uh, that's the nuts and bolts of the Leori Garcia sticking around. Now, there's one more guy that I – well, there's two, but one more highlight that I want to get to. Romy Gonzalez made his major league debut, shot through the system – in 2021 and made his major league debut with the White Sox last year. Pitch. There's a base hit to right. Romy Gonzalez has his first major league knock. They'll ask for the ball in the first base dugout. So I put a couple of guys in the same category as Romy Gonzalez. Guys that could see some time there, could explode some, you know, maybe sort of, kind of. Romy Gonzalez... Danny Mendick, to a lesser degree, and Andrew Vaughn. Yes, that's right. I said Andrew Vaughn. Now, they're not all in the same tier. I, I think Romy, Romy's a perfect candidate to start the year at AAA. He'll have a full big league camp. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he was on the major league roster. He has grown into a power stroke. He's 24, going on 25. I think he turns 25 end of next year. Um, this is the kind of guy that you go, okay, this is one of those bats that is grown in the system one of these you know kind of organizational guys that has gotten above that status where you let him get full run at triple a in 2022 you take a look at what those exit velocity numbers look like you keep in mind the fact that charlotte is a launching pad and anything there hit just a little bit leaves the ballpark and might leave the state that's just kind of that's kind of where they play um but that's a guy that gets some run in triple a I think Vaughn will get some second base looks. I wouldn't be surprised at all if at some point in spring training we're seeing Andrew Vaughn take five, six innings at second base. Not like three days a week or anything like that, but you know, every other week. You know, maybe maybe four or five times throughout spring training. Vaughn's getting a half a day at second base. And I don't mean to say that because they have him in the plans as an everyday second baseman. Far from it. But we've seen positional versatility really come on the scene as an important part of organizational depth. 
guys that can play four or five spots. Shoot, you can get a corner guy to play one up-the-middle kind of spot, you know, mostly second base. That's really big for a team's depth. We were just talking about how important depth is. There's more than one way to get there. One of them is adding positions um, to the repertoire of your defensive players, of, of your guys. So that's one thing to think about. Now, when we come back, I want to get into the outside options for the White Sox in 2022. We'll start with some free agents. We'll get into some trades. I've kind of tiered. You know, my, like, I wouldn't call it a wish list, but my reasonable opportunities for the White Sox to acquire a second baseman uh, of the everyday type in 2022. We'll do that when we come back. I'm Connor McKnight, White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the home of the White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Listen to Chicago's home for sports on the ESPN Chicago app, 100.3 HD2 and ESPN 1000. Now, on the home of the White Sox, here's Connor McKnight. Secure your spot next season by locking in a 20-game ticket plan. Take advantage of the best prices. Flexible payment plans and 2022 postseason opportunity. Don't miss a second of the action. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. You should do exactly that. Uh, welcome back into White Sox Weekly. I am Connor McKnight. Tyler Rock, our producer. He's the other guy you're going to hear. We have been resuming our positional review and preview. We're at second base. We spent the first half of the show talking about the guys that worked at second base for the Sox in 2021. And and to be quite frank, what didn't work at second base for the White Sox in 2021? I think it was, you know, between that and right field, those were the two spots where, you know, if the White Sox had a bit more production, if they weren't as banged up as they were at points during the season, uh, that, that maybe that offense looks a little bit more consistent. I don't know whether you beat the Astros if you've got, you know, a different guy at either second or right going into that series. Maybe you do. But the bigger play here is like, you know, we play 162 games for a reason. The White Sox had a different guy at second or, or right field, perhaps, and we'll get to right field probably next week, maybe week after. I haven't decided yet. Maybe you win three or four more games in the regular season. Then you've got home field for your matchup, and that changes the weights a little bit. So I wanted to get into the potentials uh, for the White Sox in terms of either trade or free agency. Now, remember, the Sox have second base kind of open at this point. Romy Gonzalez and Andrew Vaughn and Larry Garcia and Danny Mendick, they're all still there. But the White Sox could benefit as well as anybody in baseball at this point, and some free agents have been signed, we'll get to that in a second, from an everyday guy at second base, from a from a player, from a real productive hitter. There's one more bat that I could see fitting real well into this lineup, you know, in terms of production. And we'll get to what those potential bats could look like. I mentioned earlier there are a couple off the board. Marcus Semyon, of course, signed with the Rangers and got himself a seven-year contract at the age of 31, which I, listen, we talked about Semyon four or five weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, I was going to say about a month ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I... I was really surprised to see that he got a seven-year... I mean, good for him. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Really surprised to see seven years for a guy who's 31. I think part of it is that he plays up the middle. 
And the idea is that that aging curve for him probably isn't as bad as other 31-year-olds. Um, but seven really surprised me. I don't know about you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not here to take money out of people's pockets. No, that, no, that get, yours. It, but like, get yours, man. I mean, seven years for a 31-year-old. That, for me, not a move I would make. Seven years, but do I want Marcus Semien on my team? Absolutely. Well, and that's, you know, look at the free agent contracts that the Rangers doled out, right? I mean, it's Corey Seager for 10 and 325 yep. plus Semien for 7 and 165. It was like 26, 27, 8 a year or something like that. Th- these are the numbers that you have to pay when you are a team that's been, you know, nowhere over the last five, six seasons and you want to make splashes in the market and rebuild quickly. Like, these are the premiums that you've got to pay. Right, and they also what signed John Gray? I want to say too. Yeah, they, they got went John into the Gray pitching the market Rockies. a little bit. And yeah. you know what? Listen, even you know it's down there at that ballpark. It's brand new. It's very nice. You could smell the new car smell walking around the concourse and everything. It's cool. I like it. Don't get me wrong. There's still more that the Rangers are going to have to add to that team, whether it's you know internally or you know guys that develop and all that kind of stuff to make it look like they're anybody that's going to compete in the AL West. That's just you know I don't mean to be mean, but that's just being frank. That's where it is. And you don't want to end up like one of the other teams in your division, the Los Angeles Angels, who has spent a ton of money at premium names, but still haven't gotten over that hump of getting to the playoffs. Yeah, what's it get? I mean, the similarities between both of those teams and really a couple others, one in the NL Central I could name, it's developing pitching, man. I mean, you in this day and age, you must develop pitching, and that's plural. It's not just starters, it's relievers too, it's swing guys, guys who can come up and start you a couple of games and also feature in that bullpen and work all the way around. That has to happen. The Dodgers and Rays have been exemplars of this for the last five, six years. And quite frankly, you know, if you look at the White Sox, being able to throw as many arms in as they have over the last five, six seasons, even through their rebuild and when they were productive, that's an important part of how they've been able to construct this team, whether those arms have been turned into trades or whether they've been guys that have produced. Even you look at a team like the Brewers, too. That got them <sighs> to the playoffs. There was no pop in that lineup. No. Zero. Yeah. Well, Avi had a nice little nice little trick. Not, mm-hmm. not in the playoffs or anything right. like that. But that's the stuff you need. If you're yeah. developing that pitching and you've got guys like Woodruff and Burns, they're helping you get to that playoff run. You've got to keep a couple of positions. You know, I, 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 you got to keep a couple of positions cheap. Because this sport can get expensive fast. And the White Sox have a couple of positions, you know, quote-unquote, cheap with the long-term deals that Yohan Moncada and Anderson and uh, the arbitration numbers that some of the pitchers have, Cease and Giolito, um, and, and quite frankly, a, a long-term deal with Robert and Jimenez that are eh, team-friendly. But when you look at second base, whether it's Semin off the board, Javi Baez, I, I know it's unlikely he was going to sign to be a second baseman, and Chris Taylor off the board, there are a couple of names that makes things somewhat interesting. And I'll start with a free agent or two. And I kind of tiered this, right? They're the high-priced guys. The guys that you have to spend a lot of money for. The guys that that might mean all the money goes to, not all the money, but a bunch of money goes to second base and right field becomes a, we'll see what you can do kind of thing. Now, you could do that vice versa. You could put a bunch of money into right field and second base becomes, yeah, we'll see what we can do kind of thing. Or you could just blow out the whole budget and sign a bunch of great players and see what happens. Teams can do that. You're allowed. It's okay. That's to pay a luxury tax. I have no idea what that looks like with a new CBA, but you could do it. So anyway, here's your high price free agent that's left out on the board. It's Trevor Story, right? And for Story, there's always been the Coors Field thing. We talked about Todd Helton and the Coors Field effect uh, last week. 
I think, a little bit on the ballot. I just I don't get why Todd Helton, who played his entire career in Coors Field, gets punished on the all uh, on the Hall of Fame ballot the same way Barry Bonds does. Like their crimes don't seem equal to me, not even a little bit. Story though, a little underwhelming over the last two seasons. Well, call it twenty one. Twenty was okay, sixty games. But since two thousand twenty, sixty game season, he's at two sixty three. 337 on base and slugged 486. It's an OPS plus over 100, 108, where you know every point above 100 is above league average. This dude, I mean, he's been great since breaking into the league and playing in Coors Field, sure. All-star in 18 and 19. MVP finishes, at least in the top 15 for both. Silver Sluggers finished fourth in Rookie of the Year. He's the career owner of 158 home runs. And yeah, the splits are a little bit concerning. I don't know. With Rockies, I think there's a little bit of an eye test that gets involved here, right? And I don't mean just like, oh, do you look at him and see a ball player? Like, there's exit velocities that match. It's a rough 21 for him, sure. But I would give him a better than even chance of rebounding from 2021 and becoming an impact kind of player. He's not played second base really much at all. He's been a primary shortstop, and I can trust um, that he could flip over to second. You got to learn the double play, and it's a nuanced position to be sure. But I trust that kind of athleticism to be able to move from short, where he's played his entire career, over to second base. Story's name was in the rumor mill, come trade deadline, around the White Sox. Didn't happen, and the Rockies didn't move him anywhere, which was a confusing decision. But it's one they made regardless. So Trevor Story's that high pri- high priced free agent that could be there for the White Sox. There are a couple of others. Um, you know, free agency is kind of the middle infielders went, quite frankly. But there are a couple other guys that are somewhat interesting to me. And one of them is a name, I'm going to sound like a, you know, an ESPN 1000 caller. I'll tell you what nobody's talking about. Jonathan Villar is an interesting ball player to me. He is 30 years old. He'll be 31 when the season starts. He is a free agent, played last year with the Mets. He's kind of a... He's not a pure second baseman. I guess he's a little bit more Leury Garcia than he is everyday second baseman. But as we talked about with, with the difference between right field and second base, you could put a lot of resources here and some there or vice versa. VR would be a pretty interesting add-in player, assuming there's another big bat that comes with your offseason left over, whether that's via trade or free agency. Villar hit 249 last year, 322 on base. 416 slug. He is a very good base runner. He'll play a handful of di- different positions, although, like I said, defense isn't his, so his calling card, but he can handle a handful of spots. Last season alone, he played third, second, and short. He has mixed in in the outfield, uh, center and, and, and left primarily. It's been a little while since he's done it, but Jonathan Villar is out there too. A couple other free agents, and these, these would be kind of buy low options and see what happens. Brad Miller, If you're down, Josh Harrison, what a nice little 2021. Those are guys you might be able to mix in as free agents. But again, they would be more like throw them in, see what happens. Maybe it's a contract that's a little low in value. And if it doesn't work out, it's a player you could cut loose and, and move on to other options. And if it does, that's great. So that brings us to a couple of different trades. Some names that would cost you prospects. Some names that would cost you, uh, to be quite frank, fan favorites, right? I think that when we start talking about the trade prices for a couple of guys that could be out on the block once the lockout ends, 
we do have to start getting a little bit uncomfortable as White Sox fans when it comes to who who's worth giving up, who are you ready to part on, and remember too that in order to get quality, you got to give up quality or at least the potential for high quality. So that means that in the next segment, we're going to talk about names the White Sox could bring in to play second base and be impact players, but it could cost you the likes of Garrett Crochet or Andrew Vaughn or Michael Kopech. I think some of those are more, more less likely than others. Uh, there are other minor leaguers that could mix into that. You know, the high school arms, Dahlquist, Thompson, Kelly, that kind of thing. Those are all potentials too. But in order to get quality, you're going to have to give some up in return. We'll see just how likely that is for the White Sox and some of the names when we come back. You can host your group from a view like no other in the CIBC Fan Deck in 2022. It's located in center field. The Fan Deck sits above everything else, providing an expansive view of the entire field and stadium. Visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000 for more information. When we come back, some of the big names that the Sox could target on the trade market. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. On the home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. If you're looking for a new way to start your game day in 2022, you can treat your group of 20 or more to a pregame patio party. Oh, how many times have I talked about the patio party on this show? Every week. They're amazing. They're so much fun. Okay, so 20 or more, pregame patio party. You get two hours of an all-you-can-eat buffet along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash patio or call 312-674-1000. You know, I, I work every game day. That's kind of my thing. But before I was doing this job, I was doing a different one. And I hung out at a patio party, and my God, was that a fun summer day. I mean, that is a good way to spend a handful of hours. I heard the promos for that all year, and I never got a chance to to do it. But I always brought it up to my friends, like, hey, we got to oh, do this at my, some point. It is so it is so choice. If you have the means, I highly – and the, you, it doesn't take much means. The White Sox make it work for you. Highly worth investing your time in it. Speaking of investing time, uh, we had talked earlier. That's Tyler Aki on the other side. I'm Connor McKnight. You got White Sox Weekly. We talked earlier about hitting some trade targets for the White Sox in 2022. Some guys that could play second base – and to my mind, the biggest name out there, and you know, we'll see if he's on the block, but the biggest name out there that could make an impact for the White Sox in 2022 and well beyond is Arizona Diamondbacks second baseman and center fielder Cattell Marte. If you're unfamiliar with Marte, because you know, Sox are an American League team and then he plays in the NL and on the West Coast, so that means he's not hitting until like 1130 at night. I get it. No problem. Marte is signed to an incredibly team-friendly deal over the next four years. In 2021, he hit 318. He was on base at a 377 clip and slugged, hold on to your hats, 532. He hit 29 doubles. He hit 14 home runs. He had 50 RBI, usually bats toward the top of the lineup because he's got a speed to burn. If you're interested in stolen bases, that's great. He's not so much. He uses his speed elsewhere. He took two bags last season. But I wouldn't be surprised if you know he got to a club that wanted to ask him to run more, whether he could take some bags. I, I don't know um, as much about his base running instincts, but he certainly got wheels. Now, if you're trading for Marte, the flip side of that is 
I think it was my opinion, right? It's just, it's just, it's just me talking, me and you. I think in order to get Marte, that's Vaughn, Crochet, and a big-time minor league piece. I think that's the level of deal we're talking about. Now, you might say, Connor, you're crazy. Maybe, but this is a very good player, like I said, and it's the reason I said it first, signed to a very team-friendly contract. And more and more in baseball, we're seeing trades reflect the value of the contract itself, maybe even more than the value of the player. So in order to make up the difference, and Arizona's a team that's rebuilding and desperately needs pitching, I think that's one of the top high school arms that the Sox have in the system, Kelly, Thompson, or Dahlquist, and probably one, maybe both of those big names and Andrew Vaughn and Garrett Crochet. Is it worth doing? We'll see. I, I wish I had more for you. We'll see, but this is an impact guy. Maybe the guy that the Sox could trade for that makes the most impact. Here's some more. And I think these guys are high prices, right? I don't think anybody costs as much as my, you know, just kind of off the top of the head price tag for Cattell Marte. Whit Merrifield of the Royals, not quite as good of a player, aging a little bit, but the interdivisional trade prices, you know they're going to be hefty. Glaber Torres of the Yankees is one that interests me quite a bit. Torres, I worn out is welcome, I guess, in New York. Yankees fans can be fickle. I mean, let's, let's be honest, every fan base can. Last season, he was he was fine, a 93 OPS plus, just a little bit under average. But it's a guy who's been, you know, hit his weight well over his weight, and he's only 24. If you wanted to flip a couple of, you know, admittedly big guys, you know, probably a Vaughn, right? I think in order to get Torres away from New York, you're probably talking about Andrew Vaughn again. This is a guy that might just need a scenery change at 25, and who knows? You could get real lucky with a big swing on a trade like this where he regains that kind of top prospect shine and pedigree. Remember, when the Cubs signed Hibbs, an international signee, Back in uh, 2012, I want to say, Torres was the guy that got traded to the Yankees for a role as Chapman. He was that dude that made that trade work. So um, he has been well thought of by talent evaluators throughout the league for quite a while. Here's what I want to get into, and I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times. Gene Segura plays second base for the Phillies. Well, he's also played some shortstop, too. But White Sox fans have noticed, um, Penals, I think, noticed this on, uh, on Twitter first, that the salaries of Craig Kimbrell and Gene Segura match up real nice and even. I mean, real close. I think it's a difference of like $150,000 with the edge belonging to Kimbrell. The Phillies have needed bullpen help since 1998. Maybe that's a spot where Craig Kimbrell could land. Gene Segura's a pretty good player, though, and I don't think this is an even swap. I don't think this is just one contract goes and the other one comes the other way. Segura's 31. A 111 OPS plus last year. If you're interested in the average and slug split, it's a 290 average and a 436 slugging percentage. I mean, the guy hit 14 home runs last year, and you know, I think you put him at guaranteed rate field. I think you see that total go up just a little bit. I forget how that ballpark plays, but here are a couple other trade names before we get out of here. Colton Wong of the Brewers is an interesting ballpark. He's got one year left on that deal superlative defender at second base. A guy that makes a little contact, uh, kind of hell on the base paths too. But remember the Brewers, they had Keston Hira ready for that position. And I thought, I was I was like the leader of the Keston Hira bandwagon. I was like all about how this guy's going to be impact player for a while. And of course, when Connor gets on a player like that, he goes down to the minors and can't provide. But either way, it's not been there for Hira and that might change the Brewers' value on Colton Wong. I like a buy-low option like David Fletcher of the Angels. 
Fletch, who I assume his friends call him Fletch, because if your last name is Fletcher, why aren't you being called Fletch, right? I mean, that's that's just how that works. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. It it has to be. It has to. It has to. Uh, David Fletcher is a contact guy. Rough 2021. I mean, I mean rough. 71 OPS plus. But in 2020, 60 games, well, maybe, maybe this is the better way to look at Fletcher. From 2019 to 2020, the numbers were pretty good. From 19 to 20, maybe this is a better way to look at it. He's a 298 hitter, slugs about 400, OPS plus over 100, and a pretty good defensive player at second base, too. So, if you were one of the White Sox fans, we're like, man, I really like that Nick Madrigal had a contact-first approach, played a pretty okay second base, seemed to be improving, ran the bases well, and was kind of that, you know, likable guy in the clubhouse and the whole thing. Maybe David Fletcher is your guy. Maybe that's that buy-low option that you find a rebound with. I think, too, we're going to see over the next couple of years that, you know, rebound-type guys who have that higher contact. I'm not just talking like putting the ball in play, right? But just that higher, like, or or maybe a better way to put it is a lower swing and miss rate, the ability to make a bit more contact. They might have just a little bit more rebound potential than that power stroke slugger like uh, Jorge Soler, who could get a really nice deal after the postseason run he had. There's a lot of swing and miss there, which means a lot of variability in performance one more crazy one i get to you here and this is kind of two moves in one but i think it's the same kind of process here's a wild card chris bryant is a free agent he plays third base in every outfield position you could want i don't love the idea of moving yoan mancata from third base to second base some do and rick Hahn hasn't ruled it out so signing somebody that can take at bats at third base could work for you if you want to get real flexible. The other thing here is the A's seem interested in trading anyone with a uniform. Matt Chapman plays an elite third base. And if there's one guy I'm moving or the one guy that I'd, I'd have play third base, if Juan Mancata has to move, and again, I'm not a proponent of that idea, but if that's where the Sox go and if that's where the price is right, Matt Chapman playing third base for a while, oh man, that is a lot of fun to watch. Maybe you think outside the box, maybe that's a spot you can go. Just something to think about. Glad we could do the positional review and preview here. Get back into it. Second base today, and if you want to go listen for the other ones, go check out ESPN Chicago, the app. You can download all of our White Sox weeklies uh, over the last couple of months. We will be back on New Year's Day. Have a safe holiday season. The boys are up next with the hockey show. Big thanks to Tyler Aki. I'm Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. On the home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000.